Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. I'm Brent Johnson. No, I'm not either. We, I'm Brent's dad. So he, uh, he's away for spring break, and uh, he called old dad out of the dugout, the right-hander, to come in and finish the series. And so that's why I'm here tonight, today. My wife and I, Gail, Gail's here as well today, and we, uh, I don't know, maybe he felt like in finishing this series on legacy, I thought he said legend, and it was, you know, so I thought maybe that it wasn't that at all, but uh, I'm a legend in my own mind, right? So it's like 44 years of ministry and uh, 25 years at faith across the river in Pasco, and we just turned the baton over to our executive pastor in June. Took a six-month six sabbatical and traveled and had a great time doing life and so on, and then came back on in January part-time. Uh, we felt like we still have something to offer and, and uh, doing some ministry with 55-plus in our church. And, but it gives me the opportunity to do this kind of thing and help out. During sabbatical, you probably saw us here. We landed here often and enjoy visiting with you and getting to know many of you and seeing what's happening here at Faith. Brent and Kylie, or you, you uh, maybe don't know how blessed you are to have them as your pastors, and they're doing a great job, and, and I know you love them, and they appreciate you. I, uh, <clears throat> I, we're in a new season of life, and not only retired, but uh, we have 10 grandkids, and all 10 of them live in Pasco now. So what a great time for us to transition from full-time to part-time, and I've seen more basketball games and recitals than I care to talk about, but, but uh, it's just happening for us, and we're loving it, the influence. I just finished, just finished a new book uh, reading recently on biblical grandparenting, and it challenged me. One of the most challenging statements in that book was this. It said, don't waste the last third of your life, and I thought about that. And uh, he goes on and talks about the author, how uh, many of us in American society and culture today have bought into this mentality, this idea that uh, when we get to retirement age, we think, well, I've worked hard all my life. Now it's about uh, moving away to Florida or Arizona and playing pickleball and shuffleboard or whatever and, and uh, forget the kids and grandkids. But that's not the biblical mandate. And uh, so it challenges us about God wants us to leave a legacy for our grandkids. Fits well with the message, I think, that you've been hearing this month and, uh, and today of God wants your fingerprints and your footprints to help in your grandkids and your kids and, and those friends and so on that you have. And so anyway, it's a privilege to be here today. But I would like to ask you to help me sing a song that you all know, but you haven't sung in a long time. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. I'm serious. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. See, dug back in your history. Some of you haven't sung that song for a long time. 
And you think, what in the world does that have to do with legacy? Oh, you'll see. You'll see in just a moment the, uh, the difference there that that can make. <clears throat> I looked up the def- definition of legacy. And this is what it says. Something that is passed on. Many different forms. You've been hearing about a couple of them already. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it could be faith. It could be ethics, core values, could be monetary, your assets, passing them on, legacy. It may come from one's character, reputation, and the life that you lead, setting an example for others to help guide them in their future. Legacy. God's calling all of us to leave a legacy, and we are, as you've heard in the series already, uh, we're living a legacy and building a legacy. Anna talked about it. I don't know if Anna's here today, but I listened to the message from two weeks ago and then to Brent's message as well, just to see uh, how I could kind of come along and, and help fill in some gaps maybe and take a little different twist on the whole thing. But they did a marvelous job. And Anna sharing about Dr. King's influence in our culture today and the fingerprints and the footprints that God is, is developing in us for the future and for those who come behind us. But the big idea of this whole legacy thing, and Brent talked about writing a letter. Some of you, I hope, have written the letter uh, this week. I wrote a letter a few years ago to Brent. Uh, Many of you know he was in that accident that almost took his life. And as he lay in a coma at Cadillac Hospital for a couple days, uh, I penned the letter and uh, had an envelope for him not knowing if he'd ever wake up from that coma or if when he did wake up, he'd recognize us or be able to communicate. But God did a marvelous thing in his life and body and did. And, uh, but that letter was something I felt like I needed to communicate to him. But don't wait till it's too late. And that's the idea we shared last week is write that letter to, to pass on to your kids, to those who are dear to you to be able to share with them and explain to them your love for them, but also what's important values, core values, and and elements of life that are important. And uh, those are are good things. The essence of of all of this, I think, and that we're trying to navigate in life is, God, can I trust you with my future? Can I trust you with my life? We'd all like to have a crystal ball. We think we'd like to have a crystal ball that we could look in and somehow see the future so that we could know by that lot. You know, how many did that? Wish you looked back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I should have bought that stupid thing. I should have bought stock in Microsoft when it was here. You know, I should have, I should have, I should have. And we wish we could have had a crystal ball, but we don't get that. <clears throat> but in spite of the difficulty of trying to predict what's going to come in the future, we still try to do our best to peer over the horizon of what's to come in our life and to anticipate what that might be. But prediction is difficult, especially when it's about the future, because we just don't know. I mean, many of us have sat with our financial advisors and they've tried to instill a confidence. It's okay, it's okay. The market always, historically, this is what it's done. And yet we look at it and go, come on, are you kidding me? And uh, the downward trends and what's next, and we just don't know. We're interested in the future. God's interested in the future. 
Fortunately, he has a better perspective on it than we do, and his view's a little different, but he does give us some instruction in Scripture about how to deal with our passion for that quest of knowing what the future is. In Scripture, you may know this, but in the Old Testament, it's written primarily in the Hebrew language, and the New Testament is more of a Greek Aramaic writing, but, but in Hebrew, uh, the word uh, it, that, that relates to this is a word that's called acharit. Now, say that without spitting on the back of your neighbor in front of you, but acharit. And try it. Acharit. Yeah, yeah, stay with English. But um, no, we all, who speaks Hebrew anyway, right? It's like, but it's, it's unusual because it literally means afterward, backwards, or after part. That which comes after. Aharit. That which comes after. Well, how does that relate to the future? That's what we want to look at this morning. H.W. Wolf says that the Hebrew concept of time is like a man rowing a boat. Thus, row, row, row your boat. Time to the Hebrews was like a person sitting in a river, sitting in a lake with oars in his hand, rowing the boat. And uh, he sees where he's been, not where he's going. He sees the wake He sees the past, and hopefully he learns from that. But the future is at his back, and he backs into the future. It's entirely unknown to him because it's behind him. This picture has some very powerful theology in it. Only God can see behind us. Only he knows what's in your future. We have as our guide what we've seen, what's behind us. And we hopefully have seen in the course that we've been following of the past and, and hopefully the history with God in our past is important and can guide us to our future. But we learn from that. It's visible guide for us, if you will, for a course for our future. And the implicit powerful assumption in this metaphor is that I am in the flow of the river. I am in the water of the lake and I'm an active participant in the rowing. That's the Hebrew mindset. Now the Greek mindset was totally different. Their perspective on time is that there's a river flowing but we are stationary on the shoreline. And it's a different, instead of being in the river, in the water, we are now a passive observer from the shoreline. And we watch, and that which is downstream is what's happened. That which is upstream is what's to come. And we can position ourselves at a different place on the river, but nonetheless, there's always the future. And there's always the past, and we're simply a passive bystander to observe, not an active participant rowing. And uh, this is why the Hebrew view is so powerful for us, and I want to explain this, kind of unpack it for us when we're talking about legacy. 
when we're talking about that which we leave behind. In the Hebrew view, it takes me off of the shoreline, into the water, plunks me in the middle of the flow. I'm no longer an observer, but I'm a participant. And time is the stuff that I row my boat in. And uh, the second part of that Hebrew concept is this. It suggests what I really know about time is all in front of me. And uh, time is a continual sequence. There's an ancient Jewish proverb, and it reads like this. You'll see it on the screen. In all you do, remember the end of your life, and then, then you will never sin. In all you do, remember the end of your life, your legacy, and then you'll never sin. That wise counsel has been a part of many Christians' devotional lives for centuries, early times, from the early times. You may have seen it as uh, you have visited cathedrals in Europe or maybe seen paintings. Uh, Fathers of the ancient church preached sermons, and it seemed like they always came back to the four final things, the four last things. Pictures that were painted oftentimes were medieval monks and sometimes they publicly displayed the bones of deceased members of their communities to remind the living of their own mortality. Oh, there's Larry. He was security here. No. And it's, just, it's, a, it's a vivid reminder to us of our mortality. In fact, when you visit Europe, you'll notice that many of the cathedrals out in front of the cathedral as you enter are what? Graveyards, cemeteries. And the intent behind that was as you would come to worship, it would serve as a reminder, this too is where I will go one day. That's what's going to happen to all of us, our mortality. In a number of the classic paintings of of Christian themes, we find believers kneeling in prayer. And then if you look closely, off in the distance, you'll see a skull sitting by. And you think, why would they include that? That's why, to remind us of the four end things, the last things, which I'm going to share with you in just a moment. But they're, they're sobering spiritual disciplines, reminding us of end times. In Latin, it's called contemplatio mortis, the contemplation of death. In our culture today, we work so hard to push those things to the sidelines. And we idolize youth, we idolize sensuality and material possessions, we get that. And it's terribly unsettling for us to think about death and hell and heaven and those things. And so if we thought about those more, we would have to admit that we're mortal, that our health will fail, that our bodies age, that pleasures fade. I told the early gathering today, I said, here I am now, 65 years of age. I've had both knees replaced. So I'm the guy at the airport doing this in that little thing and uh, trying to explain that it's two, it's two knees. I don't have a bomb. It's two knees. And, uh, and then I get my knees fixed so I can walk and, and uh, play tennis or whatever and golf. And, and now my back's messed up. They tell me I have degenerative scoliosis. And it's like, come on, you know, give me a break. I just want to play tennis with London. 
And, uh, and, so, and, and so, but that's a part of getting old. None of us like that idea that our bodies are failing. It's unsettling to us. Our bodies age. Matthew, I think that's why Jesus said what he did in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust decays. Lay it up in heaven. Think, think long-term. Think of legacy. Think of the end result and lay up things there where moth and rust, it doesn't happen there. Because we don't like to admit that we're mortal. <laughs> the challenge for us is when our attachment to these things that dissipate and are important to us maybe for a season, we become too passionate about those things. It's threatened to poison our soul. It threatens to poison our soul. And so meditation on these last four things, and here they are on the screen. What are these four things? Death, judgment, hell, and heaven. And most of us have pushed these off. We haven't, you probably haven't heard a sermon on death or judgment or hell or heaven in a long time. We try and push those to the margins of life. We try not to think about that. We think of more contemporary now, what's, you know, what's happening in our lives now, current, and we push those to the margins. But I think about, as some of you have read his material, contemporary management guru Stephen Covey, he mentions, as he paraphrases Solomon's statement this way, he says, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Think about the legacy, your legacy. And that may help you make decisions. It's not an original thought with him. I think it's throughout scripture, but in the Hebrew language, like Aramaic and, and uh, Arabic and other Semitic languages, Many of the prepositions or words that they have having to do with direction or orientation is they're derived from parts of our bodies. You see, it looks like this. In Hebrew, uh, the word for first or beginning, it comes from the word that we use head for head. Why? Because in the human body, the head's first. The head leads the way, comes first. So just as we can speak about being at the head of the class, first, they're at the top of the class. In English, so you can speak about being at the head of the mountain, the top of the mountain. When I'm standing next to someone in Hebrew, I'm standing at the hand of them, next to them, at the hand of them. And as I'm standing before them, I'm literally in the face of that person, in the face of the person. So this word, Hebrew word, anaharit, I want to look at this different twist of it because I love some of the depth of, of that Hebrew language, but it says this, it's that word for back and literally means which, that which comes after, after effects, final consequences, the end. The principle's simple. From our normal vantage point, we can't see someone's back. Let me illustrate. For right now, many of you don't know what's on my back. I told this to the early gathering, and somebody caught me in the lobby and turned me around to see what was on my back, if it was really there. 
because I said, you know, as far as you know, I could have a rip down the back of my shirt, something on my back that you don't even know until I pass you and you turn and look and you're gassed and you go, wow, he looked so good from the front. A lot better than his son. But you see that which is on my back when I walk by. You see, if you look at me from the front, everything looks normal. But if I turn around in that large hole in the back of my shirt, but you'd never know it looking. And, and when you see my back, the whole picture changes. It changes in your mind. That's the biblical principle here. The biblical principle from our ordinary human vantage point, looking at our future. It's not a crystal ball. We can't see that which comes after. We can't see the final consequence. It's a matter of the aharit, the legacy. But God always sees the whole picture. The whole picture. In his eyes, the aharit is in full view. If we are to live holy lives, it's crucial that we gain his perspective and endeavor to think about the legacy that we want to leave, the fingerprints, the footprints we want to leave for our kids, our grandkids. Arit, the word, <laughs> occurs 65 times in the Old Testament. 20% of those, 19 times, 13 times, it lands in the book of Proverbs. And there's a lesson there. Why? Because if you read the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, right by in the Psalms, Proverbs, it's, it's the whole purpose of Proverbs is to be summed up in this one verse found in Proverbs 19, verse 20. And this is what it says. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days, your aharit, translated literally, that's what it means. Listen to counsel, receive discipline, instruction, that you'll be wise in your final end, your aharit, your legacy. That's what really counts. That's what counts. When it's all said and done, well, you have lived and acted wisely. That's your legacy. Here's the problem. Here's the challenge for all of us. Every one of us watching online or here in the room is we have an enemy and the enemy's goal is to distract us from the aharit, to distract us from the consequence so that we live life not thinking about the end, but we think about the immediate. That's why sociologists call it a, we're hedonistic existential people. We want pleasure we want it now. We don't care about the consequences. We just want it the experience, and we want it now. Short-sighted. In Scripture, in Genesis chapter 25, there's a story about a couple of brothers, and there was tension between them. A competition, hard to imagine, huh? Those of you that have siblings, you know what it is. And there's, a, there's this competition, but in this situation, in that culture, the oldest brother got the ranch. He got the farm. He got it all. And so he, Esau is his name in Genesis chapter 25, 29 to 34, we see the passage. He knew what was to be his, but he was short-sighted in his thoughts one day. 
because he was just so hungry. Like some of you are right now, you're thinking, when is this guy going to be done here so we can get over and get dinner? And it's just a little bit longer. Stay with it. Think long-term, legacy, all that stuff. It's, it's coming. But, but Esau was starving, and he comes to his brother, and he sells the right to get it all, his birthright, they called it, for his brother for a meal, just for one meal, because his brother was a five-star chef at this restaurant down the road. No, but he was a good, and, and so his brother was so hungry, and he says, hey, I don't care about the birthright, you can have, short-sighted. For a single meal, Scripture says, he sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, if you read the story, you'll recognize what happened. He went to get the blessing from his father and is rejected. It's rejected. He couldn't change the situation, even though he was sobbing and weeping through tears. Hebrews chapter 12, 16 and 17 tell us, Esau's aharit, his final end, his legacy was miserable. And I think about that, and I think about how many times after sinning in some manner, manner, which we all do, have we made a promise to God that looks something like this? God, if you just get me out of this one, I won't do it again. I just need your help right now. Before I yield to sin next time, I need to remember how I felt after I sinned this time. You see, that would be the antidote for us. For many of us, that would keep us out of the ditch if somehow we could harness that, but we can't. Everything in our fallen nature, which we live in a world, fallen world, and understand that, is, is against that aharit vision. Our enemy, Satan, doesn't want us to preach messages like this. He doesn't want us to get this, to understand it. God says, focus on your aharit, your legacy, That's why Brent's having the series to help us think about long-term, my life, significance, your long-term, your influence, whether it be in your kids, and your neighbors, and your family, your grandkids, but leaving fingerprints and footprints for them. Proverbs 5, one of the many passages in Scripture that warn about the dangers of sexual immorality, says this in verses 1 through 6. says, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she's as bitter as gall. Literally, it says this, is her aharit. The end result is bitter as gall. Now, most of us don't know what gall is. I don't either but sharp as a double-edged sword. It sounds nasty. Okay, think think of the worst thing you put in your mouth, and that's probably it. I mean, it's like that. And so for some of you, it's Brussels sprouts. For some of you, it's, you know, whatever. But um, no matter how good the seductive woman looks, the final consequence of me associating with her is disastrous. Completely, utterly. And you and I hear of situation after situation of individuals who have sacrificed their family, their business, without considering the aharit, without considering the end result, the consequences. They've compromised their integrity. 
their morality, their vows. Proverbs 5, 7 through 14 follow up that passage with how to try and keep people on the road and out of the ditch, kind of guardrails. Here's, here's what happens. And I got to tell you, in 44 years of ministry, I've sat with people. I've sat across the table, across the desk with people who have lost their business because of cocaine addiction, uh, who've lost their youth, the innocence of youth because of inappropriate experimentation and, and who, who the alcohol cravings have brought on abuse charges. So their marriage is now in shambles. Who've lost their home due to gambling losses. They didn't consider the one common denominator, the one similarity none of them thought about, the aharit, the consequence, that which is to come. None considered the end results of their actions. So they sit in a room with their faces twisted and the tears coming down their face, their hearts broken. They're racked with disbelief, despair. And when I see it, I think and I pray this, God help me to never forget the expression on that face. Don't let me forget that look of anguish and pain. Let that vivid image stay with me to keep me from not considering my aharit. Because you know what? We're all tempted. The enemy likes to go after. In fact, the scripture talks about he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me just say it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. No amount of sexual satisfaction, temporary fun, whatever it is, it's not worth ruining your legacy, the aharit. Remember your aharit. Our society is bombarded with temptations. Today, before the day is ended, we'll be confronted with many of these scantily clad men or women on magazine covers. They wink at us from the checkout counters as we're waiting to check out our groceries. Or Gambling looks like so much fun. They make it look like fun, but bikini-clad beauty smile at us on a car and, and beer commercials on TV, and we see that, and, and this too can be you. The pornographic literature sites wait for us, luring on the internet for us just to have a click. And we have a choice to make. Remember your aharit. Remember your legacy. Once again, sin's end result is the total opposite of what's promised to us. Walk the streets of our major cities in our country, laying in the sidewalks and streets of even our own cities sometimes, or winos or crack addicts. And they haven't always been that. At one time, they were someone's precious bundle of joy. Something happened along the way, somewhere Something happened. Some were successful doctors or lawyers or athletes. What happened? Well, they were under a lot of pressure or maybe a tragic event took place in their life that rocked their world or one of their friends turned on them and disappointed them and 
After a while, that shot of bourbon or snort of cocaine became a daily affair and it dominated them. And, and they lost their jobs. They lost their families. They lost their homes. If only they could have been reminded of their legacy, their aharit. But Satan's really good at what he does. It's pretty clever, unfortunately, scheming against us. You see, in, the, in life, it's the final end that takes, that counts. It's the final end that counts. Gonzaga learned that recently. It's the final, too soon, sorry, okay. Uh, final score that matters. Uh, Second Timothy, Paul says it this way to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7. At the end of his life, at the end of his life, on his deathbed, he pins these words and he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. His aharit, his final end, his legacy was awesome. The course of his life, the wake of his life was consistent. God says, That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. The Bible says the aharit of the wicked is destruction in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. And their hope is cut off. It's cut off. But for those who are endeavoring to follow Jesus, we're reminded we have scripture, we have his Holy Spirit who resides within us to help remind us when we need to be reminded often of our aharit, what's to come, the legacy Jeremiah 29, many of you know the verse 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a aharit, future. Hope and a future. So my words to you today are keep rowing. Keep rowing. Keep your eyes on the wake and yet on your aharit, that which comes after. And let that guide you, be a course correction for you and for me in this process as we ask ourselves, what kind of legacy are we leaving? What kind of legacy are we looking forward to? Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.